I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After the apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season two, episode two, Pursuit. KJ clutched the knife in one cold hand, lowering the heel of her other hand to the ground for support. She was in a full crouch now. Just a few yards away, she could see the hooded man on the bench, under the portico, and he looked to be dozing. If he's a guard, he isn't a very good one, she thought. Something about him didn't fit. A moment ago, she was sneaking along the wall, she had glanced into the window of the resort and saw some of the thugs. The king's soldiers were no better at guard duty. They lay sprawled and asleep on the lobby furniture, surrounded by trash and bottles, no doubt sleeping off another hard debauch. The king was probably deeper in the complex. He was the kind of man that would take over the best suite in the hotel, she thought. Maybe she could take this guard out and work her way inside. K.J. heard a noise from the direction of the shuttle bus. Damn it, probably that old buzzard tripping over himself, she thought. The guard started to rise off the bench. K.J. made her move. She lunged low, gliding from her crouch, forward on strong legs, sliding in behind the man as he straightened up. She grabbed a handful of his hair, put the knife to his throat, and hissed, You move, you die. The man flinched but didn't overreact. You told me to stay out here and watch the bus. That's what I've been doing. Shut up, K.J. commanded. K.J. saw the old man peeking around the corner of the bus, gesturing for her to come over. Walk, she commanded with chilling seriousness. You make any noise or sudden move, you die. Okay, okay, the man said. I'm doing what you told me. I'm not making any trouble. Move. They moved around the corner of the shuttle bus where the old man and Bill were crouched. Bill was intently watching the bus door, and the old man had a look of consternation on his face. We've got a situation here he said in a low voice, pointing up to the smiley face drawn in the condensation on the bus window. K.J. spun the man around and pressed him hard against the bus, knife still at his throat. Where's the king? she asked threateningly. I have no idea. In the hotel somewhere. I, I don't know. They were out partying pretty late last night. I just was told to watch the bus. What's your name? K.J. asked, becoming more curious now about this weak guard. 
This situation was rapidly becoming more and more strange. Brad, came the answer. Then, with a look of confusion, he continued, Wait, you're not with them. It was half statement, half question, as if he had begun to figure something out. Shut up, K.J. responded. Who's on the bus, Brad? Recruits. Recruits? K.J. asked. Yeah, that's what the king calls them. He paused. The ones he finds that don't fight back, that don't get killed. He keeps his workers, or, you know, for the men. He calls them recruits, women and kids. Brad looked at the ground as if he were ashamed of something. K.J. looked troubled. This was something she hadn't planned for. What's your role in this? The old man asked over K.J.'s shoulder. Me? I'm just a driver, Brad said. They picked me, us, up last week across the river with some others. We were sheltering in a school. He looked at Janet and the old man. I'm not one of them. I'm not in the army, if that's what you're thinking. They kept me alive to watch the recruits and drive the bus. K.J. thought for a moment and asked again, Who's on the bus? Are they armed? No, I swear. It's just some women and kids. Brad held up his hands. K.J. considered this information. Why haven't you tried to escape? She asked. Are you kidding? Brad replied. Have you seen the king's men? They're killers. I've seen it. I'm lucky to be alive as it is. I'm not one of them, but I'm not crossing them either. They'll sooner kill you than look at you. K.J. looked hard at Brad with a bit of disgust on her face. After a moment, the old man gently rested a hand on K.J.'s shoulder and said, We have to take a look on the bus. K.J. released her grip on Brad, but held a hard stare. She shook her head and replied, Whatever we're going to do, let's make it quick, before someone notices Brad here is missing. The old man moved towards the door of the bus and pulled it open. He had Bill go in first, then followed. K.J. brought up the rear, pushing Brad. The old man cautiously climbed the three steps, slowly rising up to take in the scene. It smelled like old food and sweat and gas. Behind the driver's seat, the shuttle bus had rows of bench seating. It was industrial plastic seating, covered in a green carpet-like cloth. The seating sections were divided by chrome posts that ran floor to ceiling. The same type of chrome poles also ran along the ceiling, just above head height, with handhold straps for standing passengers to grip. A side section of the bus offered an open floor for special needs passengers. But there were no Hawaiian-shirted tourists here, no country club wannabes or weary business travelers with their laptop bags and cell phones. There were no suitcases or golf clubs spread around the bus were people, less than a dozen, what looked like women and kids, some huddled together on the floor, others sitting in the bus seats, and they were all pensively looking at the newcomers with a mixture of fear and resignation. The windows were steamed up and 
bus rocked every now and then from a fresh gust of wind. The old man turned and saw where the gas smell was coming from. There was an open overhead luggage rack in the front of the bus that held some toolboxes, a couple axes, a chainsaw, and some red plastic gas cans, greasy with gas and oil. The old man looked at the tools and then at Brad with a question in his eyes. Brad read the look and offered an explanation. The tools are for breaking into stuff and the rest is to clear deadfall from the road. K.J. gave Brad another warning glance and pushed him into the driver's seat, which he accepted with relief. Stay there and don't move, she commanded. A couple kids, maybe eight to ten years old, looked up with frightened eyes from a jumble of sleeping bags and trash where wheelchairs would usually be parked. Arranged around the bench seats in the main area of the shuttle bus were more women and kids. All of them were looking at K.J. and the old man, except for one pale and scrawny woman who stared blankly at the wall, muttering quietly to herself. Bill was lying in the aisle, head low, ears back staring at these new people. The old man read Bill's attitude. According to the dog, there were no threats from this group. Bill, hold, he said softly, patting the big dog on the head, and then, for want of anything better to say, he broke the ice with, Hello. There was no immediate response from the people on the bus. Some of the kids looked at the adults for a cue. Two of the women looked at an older, strong-looking woman holding a toddler to see her response. That's the leader, the old man thought, reading the room. He moved forward, spreading his hands to signal openness and lack of threat. He put on his best. It's okay. I'm a doctor, smile, and addressed the woman he interpreted to be the leader. Hello, don't be afraid, and please keep quiet. He petted Bill's big wet head again and said, He's a good judge of character, and right now he's telling me there's no problem. Let's keep it that way. This is Bill the dog. He smiled, tussling the dog's big wet head gesturing over his shoulder with a movement of his head that didn't break eye contact and said, And that's Janet. Then he added, because he thought it needed to be said, We're not with that bastard inside. He let it sink in. He thought he saw a softening in their body language, maybe relief or the faint stirring of hope. The older, strongly built woman pulled the toddler's head closer to her shoulder while keeping her focus on the old man. After a short silence, she replied, I'm Mags. What do you want? It was a terse, defensive, almost accusing question. The old man looked at Janet and then back at the woman. I don't know if we really want anything. And considering the situation continued, we don't want trouble. But can you tell us what the situation is here? The strong-looking woman seemed to think about this and asked flatly, Who are you? I mean, wh where did you come from? We're survivors, the old man replied. From out east. We've been tracking the king for a few weeks. As if that explained everything.
Mags mulled this over, considering what this meant at this stage of the apocalypse. She began, I guess we're survivors too. She continued, We were picked up by the king and his men in different places around the country over the last couple weeks. They keep us here on the bus. Some of the women they have plans for. I'm not 100% sure what they intend to do with us, but I know it ain't good. She pointed out the three other women in turn. This is Bella, a small Hispanic woman nodded, and Liv, the next woman acknowledged. With this, Mags looked resigned and inhaled before continuing, and the pale one is Randy. She's a bit broken. Randy made no acknowledgement and continued to stare into space. Mags continued, pulling the toddler tighter as she named the kids. That's Ben and Brandon up front. Tim and Sarah back there, and this little peanut is Hannah. Mags looked hard at the old man, KJ and Bill. Can you get us out of here? While the old man was talking, KJ had been thinking. This new development was messing up her plans. With the storm for cover and the king's men passed out, she might have been able to get that evil bastard. Now, these women and kids were in the way. Why should she care? They were in the way. They were between her and her mission. They weren't her problem. But they needed help. They needed help. They needed her help, or they were going to be fed into the degenerate meat grinder of the king's army. They had no way out. They were powerless, on the verge of becoming victims to the evil in this place. The old man shrugged when Mags asked for rescue and began, as if to make excuses, but was stopped short by K.J. She stepped forward and spoke up. Yes, we will. We will help you get away from them and out of here. Hold on, the old man said, surprised. He turned to K.J. They've got no clothes or supplies. How are they going to move outside in this mess? We'll never be able to move fast enough to get far enough away, even if they don't die from exposure first. K.J. looked around and saw what the old man saw. There was no way this group could travel outside, over land, in this storm. They'd never make it. What to do? She thought hard and frantically. Another goddamn shitty situation in the apocalypse. While they were talking, Brad had been thinking. He had been thinking about himself and how powerless he felt. The king's army had surprised them. He hadn't fought them. He hadn't had a chance. But that's not how he was raised. His dad would not have been proud of how he'd handled himself. Brad wasn't proud of how he'd let the king and his men push him around. He told himself... He didn't have a choice that they would kill him. But his dad would say, Son, you always have a choice. Now he had a choice. I can drive us out. Brad's voice broke the silence from the front of the bus. What? Said KJ, shaken from her thoughts. I can drive us out. 
repeated Brad matter-of-factly. I drove us in. I can drive us out. I'm probably going to die if I stay here anyhow. They'll kill me for letting you sneak up on me. Brad gave K.J. a resigned look. We've got enough fuel. We can get across the river and hide until they're gone. Of course, K.J. thought. She and the old man were so used to moving by foot, they hadn't even seen the obvious solution. But could she trust this Brad? If you're playing games, Brad, I'll kill you right here and now, K.J. said, pointing the knife at him. No, I'm serious, Brad replied. I told you, I can drive this thing. That's why they let me live this long. What's to keep them from following us? The old man chimed in. From killing us before we make it out of the parking lot. Mag spoke up now. It's early enough. They won't even be awake for another hour. They drank all night. And with the cover of the storm, we can sneak out before they even know we're gone. Then she shook her head before continuing. I don't know who you people are. But we're already dead. I think we'd rather take a chance than be slave followers to these animals. She looked around the bus and back at K.J. and the old man. For the kid's sake, she concluded and pulled little Hannah in even closer. K.J. nodded, set her jaw, and looked at the old man. Time to go then. And then to Brad. Get us out of here. Lord help us. The old man muttered, grabbing a hold of the rail. Here we go again. Brad started the shuttle bus engine and eased it out of the parking lot. He slowly weaved his way through the randomly scattered vehicles towards the front gate. The resort had a grand entryway that swept across hedges, lawns, and tiers of ornate landscaping, finishing at an elaborate gate where the driveway entered the compound. The entry set into a high stone wall with two large brick pillars, pretentious statues of roaring lions posed on top. The pillars were hung with a fancy wrought iron gate. This will be the tricky part, Brad said as he slowly coaxed the bus around parked vehicles. If they're going to see us, it'll be here. He eased the shuttle bus around the paved brick circle in front of the reception area. The old man thought they were going to make it, free and clear, unnoticed. But then everything started to go badly, as it usually did in the apocalypse. Randy, the pale woman, stood up and began screaming. She ran to the emergency door at the back of the shuttle and pulled at the handle with surprising strength. Grab her, K.J. shouted, but no one was close enough and the kids just looked stunned. K.J. ran to the back of the bus, but it was too late to catch the hysterical woman. Randy was out the door and ran screaming across the bricks towards the resort like a crazed wraith. K.J. watched helplessly and wondered what the hell they were going to do now. The old man spoke up. Let's get the hell out of here. When we get down the road a bit, we'll hide the bus and scatter. No, these kids can't outrun these bastards and aren't equipped to survive in the storm. K.J. shot back. We've got to slow them down. Then, like an inspired vision from God, she saw it, sitting in the parking lot like an old friend, a familiar manifestation of strength and safety, a beautiful red Range Rover. 
just like hers that had gotten shot out from under her back at her parents' house. One of the king's men had good taste. Hold on, I've got an idea, K.J. said. Pull the bus out through the gate and wait for me. We've only got a couple of minutes before they figure out what's going on. Take off if I don't make it out in time. And with that, she was out of the back door, sprinting through the rain to the Range Rover. The old man watched helplessly as K.J. made her frantic moves. Nothing for it. No stopping her now. Come on, he said to Brad. Get outside the gate, like she said. He thought to himself, what is she doing now? Has she finally lost it? K.J. jumped into the big SUV and felt for where the key should be. And thank God again. There was trash and clothing and empty bottles in the car, and it smelled like sweat and death. But the keys were there. K.J. moved to start the car and thought, Talk to me, my sweet baby. Meanwhile, Brad had exited the gate with the bus and pulled over to wait. The old man and Bill were looking worriedly out the open emergency door through the rain. Janet slammed the car into reverse and backed up, tires spinning on the wet bricks. She jammed it into drive and accelerated towards the gate. When she was coming close, she swerved hard in the driveway, and the back end of the car skidded around to be parallel with the gate, but slightly off to one side. She was going to try to wedge the big car into the opening. She pulled into the gate like she used to parallel park her own Range Rover in the city before the apocalypse, but at the last moment threw it into reverse and bashed the back of the car into one of the brick pillars. The roaring lion statue on that pillar wobbled and fell in slow motion. With a great crunch of metal, it embedded itself into the roof. K.J. ducked as the roof caved in a bit and the window glass spidered with cracks. K.J. turned the wheel as far as it would go and floored it. The sound of scraping metal would have horrified her in her old car, but here she found it satisfying. The Range Rover was well stuck, like a great red metal plug into the open gate, blocking the driveway. Somewhere, a satellite was sending a crash notification to a help center, but she doubted if anyone would be there to notice. She killed the engine and locked the wheel, she took the keys with her as she scrambled out the side. She would have thrown them into the woods, but didn't want the risk of them being found. K.J. could hear shouting from the resort, even through the storm. That should hold him for a while, she thought. She put her head down and sprinted towards a waiting bus. The old man grabbed the back of her jacket and pulled her through the open door as Brad stepped on the gas to pull away. Brad, it turned out, was a real driver. They all held tight as he expertly drove the shuttle bus down the icy roads towards the bridge. It was slow going. The roads were flooded in places, and Brad had to navigate downed branches and trees. He drove with a combination of caution and urgency. He was careful not to get stuck in a ditch, but he steadily made progress to get them the hell out of there. The old man held onto the railing, and Bill leaned against his leg. The women and kids held onto the seats. They huddled together, clutching each other for support. The atmosphere was tense. As they made their jerky progress, the old man picked his way slowly to the back to see if they were being pursued. Finally, after some tense, long moments, they crested a hill and could see the bridge through the town ahead. The river was swollen and raging. The blockage caused by trees and wreckage was pushing the flow up into whitewater waves that crashed over the bridge deck. 
It didn't look good, but this was their only way out. They're coming! The old man's shout broke the tense silence. K.J. joined him at the rear window as Brad continued to navigate over the top of the slippery hill and down through the main street towards the foundering bridge. A couple of Humvees had come into view on the hill behind them, maybe three-quarters of a mile back. Damn it! They must have been able to get those Humvees around the gate through the flooded fairways, K.J. said. She looked ahead at the bridge and back at the Humvees, gauging the distance as they disappeared out of sight behind the hill. We're not going to get across the bridge before they catch us. Brad was now navigating the main street, a more built-up section of the town that ran along the river as best he could, pushing the shuttle bus as hard as he dared, hands gripping the steering wheel, face intense with focus. The road narrowed and brick buildings crowded in from the sides as he scraped by an abandoned car. Pull over and let me out, K.J. yelled. What are you doing? the old man asked. Enough with the heroics. Let's get out of here. No, you've got to get these kids to safety, she said impatiently. I'm going to slow them down. Get across the river and find a place to hide. Then she looked hard into his eyes. Don't worry. I know what I'm doing. Save these people. You're an idiot, the old man said dejectedly as Brad brought the bus to a stop. Bill looked concerned. K.J. grabbed a chainsaw from the luggage rack, gave a final look to the old man, shrugged, and jumped out of the bus all in one motion. You heard the lady, Brad. Let's go, the old man said. They continued toward the bridge, leaving K.J. by the side of the road. When the old man looked back, she was running and tugging on the chainsaw pull-start cord. He could hear the angry scream of the saw engine flare to life. The noise faded into the muffling of the storm as they rolled out of sight down the road. In front of them, the river surged around the bridge like a raging beast dismembering its fallen prey. Brad looked at the old man. What are we going to do? Got no choice now. Gun it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my survivor friends. This is Chris, your host. 
How are things going this week in the apocalypse? Oh, let me adjust my chair here. Have a sip of coffee. If there's no coffee in the apocalypse, I'm doomed. I won't be able to survive for a day. I was out on vacation the week of Labor Day here in the States. I know you might be listening to this in the future, but as of today, I was out last week. And I've been trying to catch up all week. I'm behind on my chores. I have to do mundane things like laundry. So here's a question for you. Do people do laundry in the apocalypse? Or, you know, or do they just wear dirty clothes until they start falling apart and then they swap them out for new stuff that they can loot? Or are they taking their clothes down to the river and bashing them on a rock to wash them? Probably a little of both, right? We will have to explore that in our narrative here. I was hoping to get this one out to you Friday night. Again, if you're in the future, doesn't matter. But today is Saturday. Yesterday was Friday. I asked Robert to re-record some of the bits that he sent over earlier in the week because he was falling into that Anchorman commercial voice too much that he does, where they sort of it's upbeat and like you're reading a commercial. And his real job is reading commercial copy. So sometimes that bleeds over into these reads, whereas the tone we're going for here is much flatter, much darker, a little bit slower. And when he hits it, it's amazing. So I had him retake a little bit. That slowed me down a little. And thank you all for sticking with the show into season two. We're going to have some fun. And we continue to gain traction as well, thanks to you all. And I will share some podcast milestones with you. I just looked at it, and our downloads are down to about 23,000 downloads. That's all time. And we're getting about you know one to 200 downloads a day. And it's, and it's climbing, right? I would expect that to accelerate now as we get into Season 2 and we have new content. And so, again, thanks for helping the show be successful. Next up, one million downloads. One million downloads. Yeah. Which brings us to our next bit of good news, which is I finally have gotten enough ad impressions to get paid by Acast. I haven't seen the money yet, but they told me they're going to pay me something. Only took nine months to get there. Doesn't even cover the cost of a month's production, but it's a milestone, right? We should celebrate. So raise a glass to us. We got paid a little bit. Our little survivor group that has huddled together over on Facebook is up over 40 people now. Uh, Come join us. You can find that at Old Man Apocalypse if you're so inclined. The main thing you can do for us to help get more traction is to share the show in social media with your friends. Something like this is purely word of mouth. It's a word of mouth phenomena. And you can help us find our tribe or, more appropriately, help our tribe find us by sharing that. So every podcast listening app that you are using has a share button. Just poke that button and share it. Of course, you can also leave a comment or review on that same podcasting app, and you can send me direct financial support through Patreon, which is always appreciated because I still run a deficit here. This season, we're raising the stakes on our little group of apocalypse survivors, the old man, Janet, and Bill, and we're expanding the universe a little bit, introducing new characters like 
We just met Mags and Brad and maybe a few red shirts in there as well. And a new center of gravity or two, like the king and his army. I'm not going to give you guys spoilers. You just have to hang on and find out. So I'll give you a couple of personal updates before I let you go. Again, I want to keep it short because this was a long show. Some of you who know me from my other podcast know that I am a runner, more specifically a marathon runner. And my minor claim to fame, among other things, is having run the Boston Marathon 20 times. I'm currently injured because I'm an idiot, but I will be run-walking, sort of hiking the virtual version of that race this year, 2021, in a few weeks. And I've decided I need to collect money for prostate cancer because I keep losing friends to this stupid disease. So, my ask is two things. One, for all my listeners out there who have a prostate, go get the blood test. If you catch it early, it'll save your life. It's really a miserable disease and you don't want it. And for those listeners who don't have a prostate, but are perhaps married to someone, another person with a prostate, please make their lives miserable until they go get a blood test. It's really miserable to get this. And you can catch it early. It's easy to get rid of. I'll put the link here for the fundraiser. You can find it on Facebook. I'll shoot me a note. I'll send you the link. One in eight men get prostate cancer. Appreciate the help. Saving somebody's life. So those, those, that's my ask. As I said last episode, I am reading my way through Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land. I had never read it. I don't know why I never read it. Famous book. I'm a couple hundred pages in. I'm reading the original long version. So when Heinlein went to publish the book, his editors made him cut it down from 220,000 words to 150,000 words, which is quite a cut. So I never read the other short version. I can't compare, but I have come across in this version some long diatribes and polemics that were a bit tiresome, and if I were the editor, I would have chopped those out. It's a different book. It's science fiction, but it also talks about religion, culture, and politics in much the same way you see those old Star Trek episodes from about the same period talk about religion and politics through the lens of different alien cultures and different ideas. So it was kind of a safe way to do that. And this book was a bestseller when it came out in 1961. Caught the wave, the current wave then of anti-establishment sentiment, the 60s at that time, and was synchronous with many of those same hippie sentiments. But for all the free love and anti-establishment themes here, Heinlein was not a hippie. He was a conservative guy. I would classify him much like our current libertarians. He thought everyone should be able to do what they want, take care of themselves. So the book, it is anachronistic, it is chauvinistic, it is cringeworthy in places, but it's an enjoyable read. I look forward to reading it every night. So, like I told you, I will keep my comments short this week. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any great ideas or need anything. I am accessible. And above all else, my friends... Keep surviving. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.